this show is distributed by SoundCloud. Welcome. Welcome to episode 156 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> yeah, what's the problem? We have a, an any foo problem. We do. What's that? Um, <clears throat> well, perhaps for new listeners, if you could very quickly uh, give a summary of what any foo is. This is the 30-second uh, summary. Oh, I think you should give it this time. Anyfoo is a service for just-in-time expertise. It's a site you can go to, anyfoo.com, that doesn't exist yet. We're building it. And you can go and find experts to help you out with problems on demand, and they can do a screen sharing session with you. You may go there and find an expert. Give them 100 bucks for an hour. We will take a percentage of that, and we're, we're like a marketplace to help you find that expert. So the problem is this whole payment gateway stuff, um, mm-hmm. dealing with the payment split. So we've got sort of problems from all angles. Um, now, we had said that we were going to use PayPal adaptive payments to do this. Right, which is supposed to be built for just this kind of thing, right? Yes, it is, but not for the kinds of money that we're talking about. Okay. So, yeah, you can do adaptive payments, but the thing is, when someone comes to the site, from an, from an expert's point of view, if they charge, let's say they charge $200 an hour, okay, right, and they're going to do four hours worth of work with someone, would you expect them to work that four hours... Before the money was approved or on the risk that the money wouldn't be approved from your perspective? Yeah, it would. I mean, they're going to have to take a, a, a risk that it won't be approved. I mean, they will know that the person has had their credit card approved. That's, that's what I was hoping we could do is that we could approve the credit card and, uh, and then you'll pay at the end. Just kind of like how you do when you reserve a hotel room. You don't pay until you've stayed. Okay, so adaptive payments... For the from from a pre-approval point of view, you have to kind of click a button. So we we can set up a pre-approval, okay. But it sort of takes you to this scary screen that says you're pre-approving two thousand dollars. That's the maximum you can pre-approve, okay. And that's just for kind of one payment. So the thing is, that's like sending them off-site. So we can do a a maximum pre-approval of two thousand dollars, which okay. is a problem, isn't it? No. Well, why why do you think that's a problem? Well, because if do you, so, do you think do you anticipate that every kind of transaction is going to be under t- every client expert relationship is going to be less than two thousand dollars? Uh, you know, I think it's going to be, you know, it's going to be some kind of a distribution, and I don't know what that distribution is going to be. I think you're going to have a bunch of them that are going to be right around an hour, hour and a half. Um, you might have some of them go longer, I, and I don't really know what it's going to look like, but I. I think you might have the situation where people have a series of shorter um, work sessions. I mean, if you are getting advice from someone, let's say that you're, you're about to adopt some new technology stack or look into going and using some new tool, you, would get an, you might have an expert for a shorter period of time, an hour, hour and a half. Walk us through us. Give us some advice. What should, how, what, how should we be thinking about this problem, right? But if you had another kind of expert that hey, we got – some serious database problems, a lot of our queries are running slow, and you end up working with this guy for 
you know, you get into working for several hours, three or four hours going through sharing, you know, your screen and going through all the queries and, and stuff. But here's the thing. The, the reality is that any one session um, might not be, you know, more than two or three hours because it's exhausting doing that, right? Working together, sharing a screen that intensely just gets exhausting. So it might be a series of shorter sessions. Okay. So we, so for every kind of $2,000 chunk, we would need to get the, the client to pre-approve. And then I guess moving forward past that, we would, we would need to get them to pre-approve again, or alternatively, the expert takes a risk and we just bill after the fact. Yeah. I mean, this might be something we can experiment with, but if someone has been pre-approved one time and that would be good to get started. And then after someone has worked with more than one expert and that expert can see that they've done it, had a series of successful sessions, then it's probably not something they're going to worry so much about, especially if it's a company, you know, I mean, I would never say, Hey, you know, if you don't know this company, you've never done business with them, go do, you know, 30 hours of uh, sessions without getting paid because you're just increasing your risk, but that's going to be rare. It's usually going to be smaller. And so if you say, okay, well, I'm going to do two, three, four hours with this, with this unknown, you know, this new client, but I can tell that they've worked with other experts. So, you know, it, it should be pretty a big but, deal. But we don't, the, the, the thing is, if it was a credit card, right? See, from my way of thinking, there shouldn't be a scenario on this where we can't try and capture a payment when work's been done. So, do you see what I'm saying? Oh, it'd be nice, but I mean, you, I, I don't know if that has to be the case. I mean, the question is, I mean, I guess it depends on what the trade-off is. I mean, how cumbersome of a user experience is it going to be for the client versus the re- risk reduction for the expert? So we're kind of, you know, we can reduce, we can do everything we can to reduce risk for the expert, but then we make, we make the client go through a pre-approval process every time um, or vice versa. But let's just say we were just using Stripe. Okay, we weren't okay. using PayPal. Okay. With Stripe, they just enter their credit card details in. We then set up a a relationship via Stripe and we can just charge as much as we need from that point forward and we can do the you know the pre-authorization for every session. It's all built in. Okay. See what I'm saying? That sounds great. Well, what's the shortcoming of Stripe? So the shortcoming of Stripe is that they don't do adaptive payments and they don't make it possible to send money to to two people's at one time. So with PayPal, we can capture the payment and then send a percentage to us and a percentage to the provider, and then we don't have to deal with the tax impl- implications or anything about us having extra money or any just basically any implications because it's a straight deal between them okay. and PayPal. But with Stripe, we would capture all the money, and then we'd have to work out a way of getting the money to them, perhaps through an ACH transaction or whatever. But I, to, me, to my way of thinking, in some ways, it's actually beneficial for us to capture all the money. Um, and then send out payments. One of the issues is, um, from a client point of view, we can we can deal with refunds. In the other way, we can't really deal with refunds because it's about the it's basically between. Well, the how are you doing a refund if they're not paying until afterwards? I mean, if if an expert if once a session is complete, an expert submits an invoice, the client can approve it or they can dispute it and say, "Look, I'm not going to pay this," you know, or the 
the listed amount of say four hours is not accurate, we actually worked three hours, and here's why. That's I mean, the expert doesn't just go and claim. So the, a dispute, so the dispute's happening before any kind of refund. May, oh yeah, may yeah, absolutely. There's no you don't need a refund because it's it's just like when you normally work with a client, you send them an invoice and they'll either pay it, and if something strange about the invoice, they can contact you and say, listen, there's this isn't this is not a, the right amount. Okay. Okay, so I, I had one kind of crazy idea. Okay. I, don't know whether, I don't know whether you know, but Stripe basically is a, an instant pre-approval for anyone to get API credentials, right? Okay. So any developer can just go to Stripe, they go to their information page, put in their account, account details, and they'll, they can start working with Stripe. Okay. So what about if every expert had a Stripe account and we had a Stripe account? And then when a payment was submitted, we basically use their Stripe AP, API key to capture the money for them and our Stripe, Stripe API key to capture the money for us. Okay. Um, but it's still two payments, right? Yeah, that would be two payments, yeah. And there's still two percentage charges, right? So like PayPal is – how much is PayPal? Oh, no, they, they would be with PayPal as well. I mean – No, no. The, the whole thing with the split payments is there's one. The whole the – whole, the main reason we're doing the adoptive payments is so we don't, we can we only have to pay three percent one time. We don't have to pay it twice. Otherwise, it's twice the transaction fee. It's not actually the transaction fee. I think is thirty cents would be being paid twice, but the actual percentage wouldn't make a difference because whether that whether that's taken out of two payments or one, it's just still three percent. Is that right? Yeah. Well, because right? imagine a payment's being captured twice. Is, okay. I think what you're talking what you're okay. thinking about is if we bring it into our account, that costs us three percent. And then from our account, we send it to someone else. That costs us another 3%. Right, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, what I was thinking yeah. about. Okay, right. No, no, th- under this scenario, it would be the same as the adaptive payments. There would just be one 3% um, charge, 2.9% taken for us, and one 2.9% taken for the provider. Okay, okay. But I don't know what the issues with Stripe may be about that, because they would probably be quite unhappy for one website to have, you know, 500 uh, API credentials that could do whatever it wanted with Stripe. Well, I mean, have you been talk to them about what we're no. trying to do um yeah well i spoke to stripe on their campfire and they they basically said they don't do any kind of uh marketplace functionality right yeah well and the other thing is you're requiring that people to go and set up a stripe account i mean how much of a pain is that so are you okay then that people will hire an expert and then we'll say at the end of the process okay now you need to pay they click a link, then they basically go to PayPal and make the payment at that stage, and we haven't really pre-approved stuff up front. Yeah, I think that that's okay. I mean, you know, no, I, I would, I would like to do a pre-approval at least the first time a client has ever used the site, right? Mm-hmm. That would be nice if 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 someone comes on, we we've, we've you know they've never done business through any foo. Um, you know, you, you might require them to do a uh, a pre-approval. I mean, I guess a two thousand dollar pre-approval is still quite a lot. But I'm wondering if you know, if even for that two thousand dollar pre-approval, how does that even work from a PayPal perspective? I mean, do they have to have two thousand in their account? I mean, I don't know. What do you mean? Because they they're they're paying for their credit card, right? They're not paying through PayPal. No, they're paying they're paying through PayPal. Like with with the adaptive stuff, everyone has to have. One way or another, everyone has to end up having a PayPal account. Uh, see, that's not great. I mean, a lot of companies don't have PayPal accounts. Yeah. You know, that's not how companies do business. Companies pay with, well, I mean, it depends on the size of the transaction and everything. 
you're, you're, what's going to be easiest for most companies is if they have, if they can pay through credit card, because these aren't going to be large charges. So it's going to be on some credit card that some, you know, guy, some person who runs a group, you know, development group or, or whatever is going to say, okay, you know, we can put this on the credit card. It's not some massive transaction that they're going to have to move money around and go to accounting to get done. But I don't think, I mean, I, this is all speculation because I don't really know. We, we'll figure this out when we try, we start doing this business, but I think credit cards will be much easier, much more preferred method than say PayPal, having them, ha- having them have to have a PayPal account. Yeah. Requiring them to have a PayPal account. I mean, the, the experts need to have a PayPal account or they're going to want it because then we could just shoot money right into it. That would be an easy way to get them the money. Why couldn't we just send them a check or, or do like an ACH transaction? Well, we could do that. I mean, you could always send them a check. On a monthly basis, you know, we send out checks on a monthly basis. Yeah. I mean, it's not as satisfying as watching it hit that, if, you know, that money hit their bank account immediately. Right. Yeah. But, uh, you know, one way or another, we got, we kind of got to get up and running in as, as short a time as possible with minimum amount of hassle with the least friction for the client as possible. Okay. Because, because the less, the least friction for the client, the more money we're going to get. Right. What do you think? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. I mean, you, you want to, you don't want to put obstacles in front of people who are ready to write a check or do a payment. Like I want to use this. I want to pay for this, but you're yeah. making it hard for me. And, you know, <laughs> you're making me like drive across the country and, you know, build an engine and do all this stuff. And finally I can, you know, pay. I mean, yeah, you want to make it easy. So I have definitely had problems. I mean, like with, with Plugio, there's been a number of times where, enterprise type companies have said, nope, we don't use PayPal. And I've had to say, sorry, we can't. Yeah. You know. Because most of your clients who are paying are, are not enterprises. That's, that's right. But, but they, they will be with this, with any food, they will be. Well, yeah. Well, how do uh, enterprises want to pay from your, when they talk to you, when they complain, what do they say? They want to just want to pay with a company credit card. Exactly. It's the credit card. I mean, it's the not- thing is adaptive payments, I think will allow them to pay with a credit card, but then we have to create, a PayPal account for them. Like there's this whole thing where we then have to take their, all their information and via our site on the fly, create a new PayPal account for them. Okay. What about this? What about, uh, what, isn't there like payments pro where they can use a credit card? Yeah, but there okay, is, pay- forget, forget it. Damn it. Tap payments. It's just, let's go down that road. Let's get payments. Pro will allow us to integrate into our site. They pay us. Yeah. And then what if we do that? We can take credit cards and then we either send it, we do a PayPal transaction for us, or actually we can just write a check or do ACH or write a check. Yeah, well, or alternatively, in the beginning, we can just send out money via PayPal and, and just bite the bullet on the 3% because, you know, it's early days until we think of something better. Yeah, yeah. So we got the check. I mean, 3% is a lot because that's 30% of our gross, right? That's a big thing to bite, especially if later you're like, Okay, now you either have to pay the three percent or get your money later. So I don't know. Well, unless we unless we could do a you know say up front, look, basically you need to spend that. You need to give us that three percent or whatever. Right. So so let's think of the, think that. Let me just summarize this more. So if we it's, do, it's a difficult problem. I'm telling right, you. Right. I don't want to get too into the weeds on it for yeah. for listeners, but yeah. just to sum it up. So the the simplest way to get uh 
clients to pay is to allow them to pay credit card. And the simplest way for us to do that, the most seamless way to do that, is to use PayPal's Payments Pro. Or Stripe. Stripe would be even easier. Stripe would even be easier, okay? And what's the percentage for both of those? 2.9% plus um, like 30% <laughs> transaction fee or, or yeah, 30 cents. 2.9% 2, 2, 2. plus 30 cents transaction fee. That's, that's what Stripe is. And in PayPal's same? Basic, basically the same. Once you go over 3000 a month, then it goes down to 2.5% plus 30, 30 cents. Okay. Okay. Um, and then once we get it into the Anyfo account, we can do a couple of things. We can, can we, I mean, how difficult is to set up an ACH transfer? Which I, is like a bank-to-bank money transfer, right? I, I do not know. And I, I also think that PayPal may actually allow you to, do, to set up ACH transfers. Okay. Yeah. Pay, well, Payflow okay. Pro PayPal. ACH Payment Service Guide PayPal. Yeah, I think you may actually be able to make ACH payments directly through PayPal. Okay. I mean, it would be... If we can do that... so. Really, all someone has to do then, if that's true, all an expert has to do is just when they go and set up their account, they just do – they link up their ACH. They say either we'll write you a check or we'll do a PayPal, but you'll have to pay for the 3%. You'll do that immediately. Or you can, you can set up this ACH thing, which is pretty, pretty painless as well. Right? Uh, so we give them three options for getting their money out. I'm just looking here, and it says – ACH is incoming from a PayPal perspective. But that doesn't mean that we can't collect all the money, move it to our account, our, our proper bank account, and that bank account, whatever it is, has some kind of way of sending That's out. That's right, because we basic. can move money from our PayPal account into a company yes, account with, exactly. with no pain. Exactly. No pain. Exactly. We would just have to set up a bank account. That's right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, it sounds like we're getting closer. Okay. So it sounds like PayPal Adaptive Pro is going to be more, might be more pain than it's worth. I think At least so. pain for the client, which is we don't want them to have pain. No, we don't. And, and we don't want, we certainly don't want large companies saying, um, oh, I'm not buying this because I, because I have to use PayPal or I have to go through some lengthy and, setup process. Or, yeah. And a lot of times it might be individuals from, who are making the decision within large companies, right? Yeah. I mean, th- this is going to be done by small groups, small teams. It might also be, you know, small, mid-sized companies, you know, 10, 20, 50, 100 people, that kind of thing. And even them, they're just going to be like, yeah, we don't do the PayPal thing, right? So, I mean, PayPal is really a consumer payment device. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, there is one other thing, which is PayPal reference transactions. And what that is, is you take, um, you, take, you take some money from someone, and this works with PayPal Pro, and they never need to have a PayPal account. You can do it all via credit card. Um, and the reference, but, but the thing is, I don't know what the limit on the reference transaction is, and I'm pretty sure it's going to be low. I'm sure it's not going to be like 1,000 or something like that. Right. Right. Okay. So well, what do you think between Stripe? I mean, you and, I, you, you and I have both done the Payments Pro, and that was pretty painless. Yeah, it's not too hard. And, uh, but what do you, how would you compare that to Stripe from what you can tell? I think to start off with, it, it would make sense to do it into PayPal for the reason, the simple reason that if we do want to pay people directly by PayPal, we'll have that option. Right. You know? 
not yeah, be but Stripe, way. you can't do that. Stripe is going to be like, they'd have to set up a Stripe account, but that's not really, that's not a workable thing. No, really. that's, that's not workable. No, with Stripe, we would just collect it. If we're going to our bank account, and we'd then have to work out how to get money from our account to them, either by ACH check, or ACH right or check. check. Yeah. Yeah, I don't see the ACH being a big deal. I mean, it'll be a pain for us because now we got to go set up a bank account. But you know what? If we're going to be a legit company, we're going to have to do it at any point, uh, any at, at some point. Yeah. Right? I mean, it'd be nice to just operate this thing for three to six months with just a PayPal account. The whole, you know, in the vein of like, you know, minimum viable company. Yeah. Minimum viable venture kind of thing. Um, but. But you know what we could, you know what be cool would be like the first few people who like use any food, like we actually hand write checks to them <laughs> yeah. and mail them. I Nobody. mean, that'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah. Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> or actually you earned it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it kind of reminds me of Wufu. Wufu would send um, Christmas cards to all of their customers, handwritten Christmas thank you notes. Cards. Yeah. That funny. I thought that was a nice touch. <laughs> um, but uh Anyway. Yeah. Okay, anyway, I, I think I think that that sounds like a good option because we got to make that credit card payment uh, process through the client absolutely painless. Yeah. There's a lot of P's. I keep saying painless, payment pro, painless. <laughs> God. Um, so we want to make that painless, brain dead, simple. Yeah. We, we want we really the experts do. to be able to get their damn money, right? Where's my money? Is that commercial? It's my money and I want it now, <laughs> right? I yeah. mean, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to act like you're jacking around with their money. Like they, they did a bunch of work. They got, they made 500, a thousand, a couple thousand bucks. I was like, well, you got to wait 30 days to get your money. They're going to be like, it's going to be really piss them off. That would piss me off. You so- know, <laughs> I wouldn't mind if it, if it took a few days for an ACH transfer to go through, fine. You know, or a check to arrive in the mail is fine. I mean, it's really satisfying when it happens like immediately, but a few days is not a big deal. And especially when, when you're used to getting your money, you know, every couple of weeks or a month if you're doing consulting. So well, it's still be fast. As we grow, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get better anyway. You know, so like what, the reason why I say that is because once we have a certain amount of revenue, then we can reinvest that into, you know, making the whole thing better. Can can you send a check from PayPal? Uh, I am not aware of that. I don't know. I don't know why that occurred to me. I, I mean, it would seem weird that they, but I, for some reason, I thought I remember hearing something like that. I'm not sure if that may make sense, but well, whatever. I mean, we can do the check thing and then do the ACH thing. But I, I think that's I think that's probably a way we should go because I just don't want to get this really cumbersome, complicated adaptive payments thing and have to go off site and do all this kind of weird stuff. Yeah, no, I don't want that either. I think that's going to be rubbish. Okay, um, so I think that that's good. Um, yes, we've, yes, we've decided on Stripe. I think. Oh, we have. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. Sorry, I I just said I just thought it was either Stripe or Payments Pro. I okay, thought, yeah, or Reference Payments. You can look <laughs> in those three and see what the trade offs are, both from a like a complexity as well as a cost perspective. There's, but um, you know, I mean, the good, thing is that, the good thing is is that you can. There's also easy that you can switch on one, use one, and then in like a month later say this sucks and switch to something else. It's not okay. a big deal. Here's another issue, right? Just to give you, just to give you issues. But right. Listeners are going to love this. So <clears throat> if we get all this money, like, is that, uh, you know, from a, from a tax point of view, do we owe then tax on that money? No, 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 no. This is, this would be um, pass through. I mean, I'm not an accountant, so, but if, you know, if we're, if you're, if you make a million dollars, and you pay nine hundred 
thousand um, for expenses, for you know uh, consulting fees, for uh, employee costs, for whatever. You don't pay. Um, you're going to pay taxes on your income. So the income you would you would subtract out the. Because uh, I I've got a feeling that different states have different ways that they deal with that. Whether you have to kind of pay it and then claim it back, or various different possibilities. So we may need yeah, to. I guess I wonder how that works. Maybe I'm wrong about that. You know, I may have said something that's absolutely wrong. I don't well, because, know. Because think about it, you you are actually collecting the money, even though you're giving it out. You are actually collecting it. So at one stage, it was all yours, right? I mean, you pay, yeah. I, you know what? Hold hold on one second. Hold this. Hold this like, just okay. I went and I just went and asked Sandy. She she did the books for my first company, and she says you need to ask Curtis. He's our accountant. He's also okay. your accountant. Yeah, so, he is. Uh, yeah. Well, ask Curtis how that works. Um, I I felt because I talked to him briefly about it, and I was asking about the trade offs of of sort of like the split payments versus the you know the payments going through us. And I don't, he didn't even bring up the issue of like, well, in one case you're going to pay taxes on the, and in another case you're not going to pay taxes. Um, it was just merely like, uh, I, I think he said either way would work. And, and, and I brought up the idea of like, well, if there was ever an issue between a client and an expert and the money did never went to us and went straight to the expert, maybe, um, maybe that would reduce our liability. But he's like, you know, I'm not an attorney. You want to ask an attorney about that. But he's like, it sounds like that could be true. But um, again, he was like, that's not his expertise. So I think our primary concern at this point, I'm not so concerned about that liability because it's not a major liability. Even if someone paid a couple thousand dollars to an expert and and afterwards they regretted it and they thought- Well, we're not going to lose our house at this stage, right? At the, at the early stages, potentially. No, no, no. You're not going to- and, and it's just, it's for a relatively small amount of money and it's between- and it would be hard to say it was our fault if an expert- if an expert did some work for a client- they submitted an invoice to the client. The client approved it and paid it, and then later decided the experts, the the advice or their help they gave them was 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 bad and wanted it back. And the expert refused and then sued us. I mean, that sounds like a real stretch. Well, because we're going to have to have very clear legal conditions that state if you use experts from the site, we're not endorsing them. They're endorsed through what they've represented themselves on the site. It's yeah, not our endorsement. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I don't know. I. We'll, we'll, we we can pick this up next week. I'll I'll um I'll uh, send uh, an email to Curtis and see what he says. Okay. Good. All right. Um. <clears throat> so well, I do want to find out how the, um any few developments going, but let's move on to another subject just for the moment. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. You've got some subjects. So <laughs> tell us. <laughs> well, I guess I should talk about my trip up to Uber. Yeah. Tell us about that. Go that on. Would be a good good topic. Tell us the one about the whole Black Ops thing and all that stuff. <laughs> you, you read my little post on Google Plus. I did. Did you Did you submit that to HN? No, no. Ah, oh, fair enough. You like it? Yeah, it's good. It's worth an HN submission. Yeah, why not? What the hell? So, um, yeah. So I've been working with Uber as a contractor since December of last year, and at the time there were two developers. Um, and Travis is the CEO, is a friend of mine. He got in contact with me and said, hey, can you help me out? And we, we, really, we really have some problems with the technology here, and et cetera, et cetera. And um, 
So I came on and I started working on the dispatch system. And I've told the story before about how I, you know, was old PHP, MySQL, and had some, you know, just some real limitations. And, and then I rebuilt it in uh, using Node.js and Mongo and uh, also worked with Curtis. It wasn't all me. Curtis ended up helping out on the dispatch. Curtis is the VP of engineering there. Yeah. So anyway, I'd, I've never, up to this point, I'd never been up to the Ober offices. You, you'd only ever work with them remotely via team viewer and phone and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And I really only ever worked with Curtis. Right. <laughs> I mean, I don't even know who the hell these other people are. Right. I mean, it's like, he's like, Oh, we're hiring this person, that person. I'm like, well, what are these people doing? <laughs> and it's like, well, I mean, it's, I was like, Curtis, we got this, <laughs> you know, what do we need these other people for? I don't even know what they're doing. I mean, I knew there was Jordan was working on the iPhone app and the Android app and, you know, Curtis and I had built all this um, other infrastructure. Um, so I was, I mean, I, I knew a couple guys were working on sort of like some internal tools on the website, but um, I was just unclear what all these people are doing and what all these other projects were. And they were just growing pretty quickly. They, you know, Curtis is just constantly trying to hire people. So what kind of stuff are they doing? Well, I guess there's a lot of stuff that needs to be built. I mean, there's all kind of like, see, there's ops teams that are in all these different cities. So they're New York and Chicago and Boston and Seattle and San Francisco, of course, and they're going to be growing. And so they have a team in each city. And those teams have to work with drivers and their companies and clients. They have all kind of, this is all kind of operational stuff that has to happen. And uh, so they build a lot of tools um, for that, for one. What were you going to say? You're ask I, I was, was going to say, it's interesting. It's like a little, it's like a computer network, but with people. Like each, each it's like you're kind of creating an installation in each city and you're replicating it. I guess it's like a, a franchise. Yeah, well, not a franchise, because a franchise, you'd have other people running it, but... But like the concept of McDonald's, right? So you kind of have this blueprint, and then you put you put that team in that city, and then they just have to work exactly the same as this other team in the other city. Yeah, well, see, they actually have a launch team, and a launch team will go to a new city, and I can't, I think my, I don't know if it's one or three people or something. I, I know Austin, she's the... I think she's in charge of the launch team and she goes to a new city. Like she'll go to Seattle and be there for three months and she'll hire a general manager for that city and get an office and start getting, um, you know, their partner partners are like the limousine companies. So they'll start getting partners on and doing all that kind of stuff, getting everything set up. And then once they got a GM hired and up and running an office, got everything going, then they go to the next city. And then the next city. And so they're going to have multiple launch teams, which are kind of like commando units, right? You send a bunch of commandos in behind yeah. the lines. And so that's what they do. And um, yes, yeah, so they have launch teams and, and, and they go to different cities. And then they have a, and then once they get up, they have a little operational team or an ops team in each city. But hey, Uber headquarters, HQ, where all the developers and the math department and everybody is in, they're in San Francisco. They're, What's a math department? Why do you need a math department for a cab company? <laughs> Oh, uh, well, it's not. Well, see, you know, for one, you need to, there's a lot of supply demand problems you're going to try and figure out. Like, well, what time of day, it, you know, depending on the time of day and the day of the week, I mean, how many cars do we need based on the client demand we think we're going to have, right? And yeah. how should we price things and, and what's, and then figure out what's the ETA. I mean, if you open up your smartphone and you say, I want a limo and it says it's going to be there in 10 minutes, but shows up in two, then you got a problem because maybe you were in the restaurant and you were finishing up dinner when you ordered it. And it turns out that the, the guy left after three or four minutes waiting for it because you never showed up or vice versa. You said to me there and you said it was going to be there in two minutes and, um, and you know, and you get confused at 10. So you're waiting there around. So you got, all okay, kind of, but what know, does the math team do? Well, that's what they do. They spend a lot of time running a lot of analysis 
trying to figure out supply demand, uh, dynamic pricing um, algorithms, That's awesome. um, it, you know, um, estimated time of arrival problems, all kind of stuff. Wow. So, so are they working with? Do they have some kind of simulation system to to work that out? Um, okay. Well, they, you know, they just get all the data that we record and they, you know, I don't know what kind of tools they use. I think they use a lot of different types of tools. Um, so I spend a lot of time talking with, I should say, I had a long conversation with Henry, who's the machine learning expert. Right. And we were talking a lot about that. And I also spent a lot of time talking to Kevin and he's the nuclear physicist who's doing. (laughs) Okay. Why do they they need a nuclear physicist? Well, it's basically just need people who are really smart, who (laughs) know, a lot about math and, and statistics and algorithms and have worked on very hairy data problems. <laughs> that's that's right? awesome. <laughs> right. And they have another guy who is a neuroscientist, Brian, but he wasn't there. And I think Athena is a PhD in economics and she does a lot of analysis with the quality, uh, like product quality. So like figuring out, you know, how the system's working overall, I think. But I, Athena is one of the only people that I didn't get a chance to talk to when I was up there. Awesome. So ne- neuroscientists, so you get into an Uber cab and then like in, I don't know, Minority Report or something, this little probe goes into your brain and reconfigures you? Not quite. <laughs> but, so yeah, well, it's not Uber cab. It was called Uber cab a year ago. It's Uber now. And okay. It's just at uber.com. So anyway, and then I got like, I think it's like 10 developers, something like that. I'd yeah. have to come in, but but I had never met any of these people. I'd never been up there. And I was just known to all of them as the LA guy. They didn't know who I was. They just knew that there's this guy in LA who built Dispatch, which is like the brain of the whole system, and built Godview, which is like the air traffic control system that all the ops teams used. And, you know, they always have up watching all the cars and, and drivers and clients moving around the maps of the various cities. And so it's, it's like that story you once told about, we're going to go and see Chuck. Yeah, right. you, you're Chuck. <laughs> Yeah, I was shocked. I was like, they're like, who is this guy? They're like, and Curtis, who's the VP of engineering, Curtis is a very bright guy. And uh, he has his, he, he understands everything that's going on with the entire, you know, operation of the company and all the technology. So he would disappear every few weeks and come down to LA and work with me for a few days and then just reappear up there and a lot of problems would be solved. So it increased the myth, <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> who is this guy? You know? Well, I was out, we were out to dinner and I was sitting next to uh, Kevin, the nuclear physicist. And he's like, so are you like Curtis's Yoda? He's like, whenever there's a really hard problem, it goes, calls you and you have a conversation afterwards. He's like, all right, I got it. I know what to do now. <laughs> like, I'm like, I like to think of myself more like Han Solo. <laughs> I'm yeah. kind of a mercenary, right? Right. <laughs> pay, me, pay me well and I'll help you out. But I said, I don't, I don't know about that. But um, yeah, so anyway, I got to go up there and uh, meet everyone. And, and it was, yeah, it was a real blast. It was a lot of fun. Um, but I guess the, the, one, um, the one story I wrote on, uh, I wrote a little bit out on Google Plus. Right. Um, was, so they, every morning, probably like quite a lot of uh, tech companies, they do a stand-up meeting. They think they do it like 10 a.m. every morning. And, um, you know, they just go around. Everybody does like a one or two minute synopsis of what they've, what they've been working on, what they've completed, what they're going to work on, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those kind of things are kind of boring, <laughs> right? I mean, it's one thing if it's like three people, but it's like 10 or 12 people. You're just sitting there for like 15 minutes listening to people talk about stuff. It's like, I have no idea what this person is talking about, you know? Right. And they're like, okay, so yeah, the new version of the Android app is this. We solved this problem and uh, this, and I'm going to, you know, work on this other thing. And I was like, all right, cool. All right, next, right? And, and Mina, who's the um, 
product manager is like taking notes and she's like, okay, well, can you have that? You know, cause we need, we need that done sooner than later because of X, Y, and Z reasons, you know? And it's like, okay, next. And so <clears throat> I'm working with Victor is, uh, he's like the young gun of the place. He's like 22 or 21 or something like that. And he's really sharp kid, you know, really good coder and really enthusiastic. And so he comes up to me the, after the very first, uh, right in the first day, and he's like, yeah, yeah, I want to work with you. I want to work with you on dispatch. I want to work with you on the simulator. Because when I first got up there, and I'll get, to the, I'll get back to my main uh, storyline, but um, Curtis gave like an hour and a half presentation on the, um, on the whole infrastructure and sort of the evolution of the architecture. And I sort of offered color commentary as we went along. So like why we did what we did. Because it makes it a lot of times you look back and everything seems like we made these great decisions. And, and I said, look, when I suggested we use Node.js, I mean, that was just based on a couple things I read on Hacker News and uh, something, a talk that Amir, who we interviewed, uh, had given at, Google, at a Google talk or something. Yeah. Right? So I just said, I think Node.js is the right solution. You know? <laughs> and because Travis was like, when I first said that, we, we, back in December, he's like, what the hell is Node.js? <laughs> So I was offered all this other color commentary about it. And uh, afterwards, Victor says, I want to work with you. I'm like, fine, you know, let's, you know, let's work on this. Let's, why don't we tackle this or, you know, this pulling XML out of the entire system. Because we wrote down like 10 things uh, the first day, like here are 10 major infrastructure things that we might want to tackle. And I said, I took a look at them. I said, Victor, I think... I think pulling XML out of the system would be number one. Why do you say we do that? He's so like, you're just swapping XML for JSON across the whole system? Yeah, well, it did XML and JSON, but it had to be XML to start because it had to work with the old protocols. The old protocol was all built on XML and yeah. it was just really poor because it was just like, like a lot of prototypes. It just kind of grew out of something that kind of worked. It was cobbled together and played add-on. And then eventually it's just like a kind of a big mess. But Curtis and I have been working hard to get past that and just have this really clean, simple JSON protocol. So what so, was the reception to your color commentary during that initial? I think everybody appreciated that. That was funny, you know, because <laughs> Chris was just giving sort of a real straight presentation. And then I was chiming in with like sort of funny comments about it, you know, like about the, you know, how I suggested Node.js and, you know, <laughs> based right. on no real evidence that it was even stable. Because <laughs> essentially what was happening all along when we were working, every time that we would build something and like, oh man, this is coming from strange air and why is this happening? And then Curtis is like, oh, it looks like there's a new version of Node.js. Let me just upgrade. Uh, you know, let's just upgrade to the new version. And he's like, well, problem solved. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That happened like at least four or five times, I think, where it was like just literally like show-stopping bugs. Like our, we couldn't figure what the hell was going on. It turned out it was just Node just wasn't, hadn't fixed it yet. It just didn't work yet. So, but that's what happens when you do, when you use bleeding edge technology, you just, you're literally right on it. We were surfing right on that edge. Right. And it, we were, we were one, you know, a week ahead of where the node core team was and what we wanted to do with their system. So, um, so anyway, I start working with Victor and I was like, you know what? I said, what do we call this? I said, what do we call? I said, I think we should call this operation scorched earth because <laughs> we're just burning all this code. You know, like we're just, I'm just ripping it out. You know, first I said, oh, let's call it Sunbeam Cookout, which was like from the book um, Hot Zone, which is about viruses. And what they would do, I guess the CDC would do, if they went to some area that was so infested with some virus, the only way that you could 
guarantee that that virus is completely wiped out, if some of the virus like the, like the Ebola virus, is they would just like napalm the whole area. And is they call that a sunbeam cookout? <laughs> and I said, that's what we're doing to this XML code. I said, well, let's call it Operation Scorched Earth. And he, you know, Victor's, you know, he's like, yeah, yeah, that sounds cool. And I just said, oh, like we're, and somewhere along the lines, I said, we're, we're, we're black ops, man. That's what we are. We're black ops. Cause we're in, we're in the, we're like hunkered down in the conference room. Yeah. And, and so the next, so on the, on the Friday, my last day there, when we were giving the um, stand up, he looks at me, he's like, so are you going to just, you know, describe what we're doing? I'm like, yeah, I got this. I'll, I'll, I'll tell him what we're doing. So it gets, it finally gets around to us. And I sort of give this talk. I said, all right, here's the rundown for, you know, for team black ops, you know, <laughs> operation scorched earth was a resounding success. <laughs> and I go on about, you know, and then operation end game and operation Jackrabbit <laughs> and operation uh, clean break and operation <laughs> um, rising Phoenix. <laughs> cause the other guy jumped on. Cause after that, another guy, uh, Amos jumps. He's like, Oh man, this, you, cause everybody loved the operation stuff in the block. I think that was really funny. And, so, you know. so before before it gets to you, they're just saying, yeah, I was working on PHP, two lines of this and that, and then did this. And then you're like, Operation Phoenix. Yeah, you know, everybody loved, I mean, yeah, because it was just, it was funny, right? It was funny, and it made it sound really cool. <laughs> and it gave people a sense of what it was, right? You say Operation Scorched Earth, it just sounds like something cool. And then when you describe about you know, eliminating all the XML, then everyone's like, okay, I, I can remember that. It gives them something to think about. And, um, and so after the meeting, after the stand-up meeting, like two or three different guys came to me like, hey, man, I want to be on Team Black Ops. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering what you guys were doing in here. You guys look really serious. <laughs> and, uh, and so Amos came up and he's like, yeah, I really want to work with you on the simulator. And I was like, well, okay, we'll just bring your, uh, grab your computer and bring it in. You sit down the other side of me. And I'll sit on the corner of this conference table right in between both of you so I can work with both of you at the same time. You know, because I built the simulator and I built dispatch and I built all this stuff. So, you know, I'm trying to get these guys up to speed on it. And uh, so I said, so what should we call something? What should we call I'll, uh, getting the, the simulator back to life? Because I said, I don't think I've really run that in like five months. I mean, things kind of like dead, like Operation Frankenstein. I'm like, no. And they're both kind of coding, right? And I'm just kind of sitting there kind of thinking because <laughs> – they're, well, they're coding. Like, they're trying to get up to speed. So I'm letting them do the coding. And I'm just kind of like advising and pointing at things and saying, okay, don't, maybe you should do this or that. And so I'm like, I got it. Operation Rising Phoenix. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> they're like, yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah, we went with that. So that was, uh, that was kind of what it was like. It was, it was a blast. Of love. So, how did you, I mean, because I know you haven't worked in companies with large teams very much. So, what was it like for you working with a team, like a big team like that? Well, it was, it was great for me. I mean, you know, it was kind of different for me. I mean, I kind of had celebrity status walking in, right? So it wasn't like I'm me just walking into some existing company and I'm like a new hire. I mean, so I had celebrity status coming in and I built a lot of the core stuff already. So that was different. And so all these, and because I had built a lot of like the really, like the brains of the system, and if you're a developer, you want to work on the core stuff. Like if you're at Google, you want to work on the core search algorithms or something, right? Right, yeah. And so they see me and they see, and, they, and after they hear the initial talk about the infrastructure and the next generation, they all want a piece of that, right? They want to work on the high profile stuff, the really mission critical, interesting problems. So that's why a lot of, a lot of the guys are coming to me and say, hey, can I work with you? I really want to work with you on dispatch. I really want to work with you on the simulation stuff or whatever. And so that... 
so for me, that was fun, right? I mean, it was sort of a special situation in that way. Okay. And I'm, you know, I like to talk. <laughs> I like to, <laughs> so, we didn't um, know that. <laughs> I know. So it, it was, it was fun in that way because I spent most of my time talking to people. I mean, I said, this is the most I've ever talked about coding without actually writing code. <laughs> My life, you know, these meetings and talking, get people to speed and, you know, but uh, it was, it was, I loved it. I had a great time, really had a great time. And everybody up there is really cool, really smart. Um, well, what were the offices like? Well, so they're on, um, they're on Market Street, I think Market and Fourth, I think. So just south, I think it's, it's south. They're just, well, actually, they're right next to um, Union Square, a couple blocks off Union Square. And they're right on Market Street. So in this really, really great area. And they're on the seventh floor of this building. And their offices are on both sides of it. It's like kind of a triangle. It's all these gigantic windows. So it's all natural light coming in there. It's all one big room, hmm. except for like a corner glassed in office, which is Travis's office. But he wasn't there. So it was just this empty you know, office, which is like, you know, the movie numbers where they have, write all the equations on the, on the, on like the windows. Yeah. yeah. It's like, <laughs> all the eternal windows, all these equations and stuff. And then there was like a, the glassed in off, uh, conference room, which is where I was, uh, I was sitting, but um, really cool. Offices. So one thing I would say is if, if you're interested in living in San Francisco and working at a startup, I mean, you would be an idiot not to apply to Uber. <laughs> it's just, it would, it is just that cool of a place. I know. Well, they, are they, are they looking for people? Oh yeah. They're, they're, they're desperately trying to find good people. And they're in a constant war, I think, with, with a recruiting war with Square. Because Square is one of these other hot new startups. And, it's all, and a lot of times it seems to be coming down between you, Uber or Square, like the top, the top candidates. You know, and it's not Google or Facebook. It's, it's you know, it, those, those guys, I mean, if you run a hot new startup and you want to get it in early and get options and work something that's really going big, you want to be at one of those companies. So do you mean squareup.com? No, I think it's Square. I think it was started by one of the Twitter guys. One of oh, the Twitter founders. Yeah, but if I go to squareup.com, I get something called Square. Maybe that's it. I don't know. It's I basically, know, know. Uh, it, it's like a, a credit card reader for yeah. your, I believe your iPhone. Some, some, yeah, I think that's it. I think that's it. Yeah. I don't know much about it. I just heard Curtis complaining about it. <laughs> like, right. You know, so... Um, yeah, and it was funny too because like everyone there is, I mean, I was the oldest person by a margin. I mean, I, I think I don't think anyone there is married, and, huh. and yeah, none of them have kids, and I don't I don't think any of them, most of them, I don't even have like girlfriends or boyfriends. What did you think of that post on um, Hacker News? Um, <clears throat> I've uh, forgotten the guy's name, but he was he uh, he was talking about a friend of his had he was working at Google had told him that basically. A lot of people in Google were on 250,000 a year, like a lot of 30-year-olds kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And that was a pretty common, a common salary there. Okay. Um, what do you think? I mean, is that like ridiculous? I think 250 is probably on the higher side. Um, I don't think, you know, maybe in the older, it probably varies quite a bit depending on the person their experience, how they were, how they brought into the company. I mean, were they acquired? Were they part of a smaller company they acquired? Or were they just hired individually? He had some interesting points to make, which is like, if, if people are getting paid that much, it sort of makes you, it stops you from thinking about being an entrepreneur in the company that you're in. You know yeah. what I mean? Because yeah. you've got so much, you're like, okay, well, I'll just- Well, if focus. you can make a quarter million dollars 
or writing code, writing cool code and working on cool problems with a bunch of other cool people and taking no risk. I mean, you know, I do that for a few years. I mean, you yeah. know, you know, sock away a million bucks or you, know, you can sock away them, but you know, live inexpensively and sock away half a million dollars. Yeah. You know, in your twenties or whatever, and or maybe you, know, you could, if you work there for like six or seven years, I mean, you could save a ton of cash. So then you kind of do what you want. Plus, of course, you learn a lot. You make a lot of connections. I mean, that's a great option if you can make that kind of money. But I don't think a lot of the people in their 20s are making 250. If you're making 130, I mean, I don't know. Not- I'd, I'll tell you something. I, I, I'd, I'd rather be making 250 at Uber than 250 at Google. I can tell you that. Like, just I, I just don't like, I just much prefer a way smaller startup um, environment. Yeah, well, I don't think these developers are getting paid two hundred fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> so no, I know, I know, but I'm just, I'm just saying. I don't, if you were, if you were going to give like some kind of comparative experience, I'm, I'm yeah. sure, I'm sure they're not. I mean, because you know, when you, I think, I think, I know Uber pays competitively, just like all the other startups in San Francisco. I mean, they have to. They all pay competitively. They're all gonna, you're gonna make a lot more in San Francisco than you're working in Texas or Ohio or something. You're right? gonna pay a lot more as well to live there have to. Well, you're going to pay more to live there, but you know, I mean, you, it depends on how you want to live. I mean, I was talking to some of them they said, yeah, they get, you know, a couple of roommates and they live, they don't pay a whole lot of money. If you're, if you're, if you have roommates, you know, and you should, you can, you can, you don't have to, it doesn't cost that much. I mean, if you're, if you're trying, if you're paying for a place by yourself, yeah, it's gonna be a lot. But, um, yeah, I was funny too, is like, you know, so when I'd be out to dinner or lunch with these, because they, they oftentimes they go out as a group, right? Like a whole bunch of them would go out, and 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 I would end up going and t- having conversations with the, with with individual you know, uh, coders, and I'd say, okay, so my so what's your story? I mean, where you know where'd you work before Uber? It's like, oh, well, school. I'm like, Jesus Christ! <laughs> <laughs> these guys are like straight out of school, like one year, or one guy's like, oh yeah, well, I worked at Cisco. I'm like, well, how long there? It's like a year and a half, and then was that school? <laughs> Like these guys, I can't believe how young these guys are, how little experience they had. You know, it's so funny, but um, they're good. They seem really sharp. And I at least work with Victor. He, Victor Namer is the only two that I work with directly. And they were, they definitely were good. That's why they got the job. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. I mean, yeah, they definitely give you some tests. They don't just hire any knucklehead off the street. I can tell you that. That's interesting, that square concept. So basically it's sort of, it's turning you into a merchant. All you've got to have is an iPhone, right? Mm-hmm. So with an iPhone, you, you plug in this, this credit card reader into your iPhone, and now you can be a merchant with whatever you want to do in your life. Like you can, you know, in a car boot sale, you can basically take people's credit cards or debit cards. It's an interesting yeah. concept. You can see why that's going to be a disruptive company, just like Uber is disruptive. I mean, yeah. Uber, Uber cars and limos, Uber jets. I mean, Uber is going huge. It's going global. And things going to be a big, big deal. Guarantee it. So yeah, you can see why those two companies are you know are are in a in a hiring war, and also because you know they're both in San Francisco. You don't have to live out in Silicon Valley. I mean, Silicon Valley is the suburbs. Yeah, you know, I mean, you live right in San Francisco, which is awesome. I mean, I, it was fun to be there for a few days. It was you know a lot of energy. Yeah, do you? I mean, could you live there? Could I live there? I've always wondered that. I don't know. I love. I really like visiting. Um, the thing is, you know, we have kids, right? Three little kids. I don't know how living in the city would be with kids. Yeah. I mean, you definitely don't see any in Union Square. I saw no kids <laughs> three days. But would it be too, I mean, to, to live there, I mean, you're, the general people that you'd be hanging out with, um, would it be too, I get a sense that they're pretty young, right? They're not really 40-year-olds, generally speaking. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But then again, I'm not really a 40-year-old either, huh? That's true. You're just a young guy. What are you, like 20? 
<laughs> I, I don't know if I act like a 40 year old man, but uh, I don't know. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously you'd be working with them, but outside of working with them, I mean, you know, once you have family, you don't spend a lot of time hanging out with people, right? You know, yeah. you're working with people and you might have an activity or something, but this time you were kind of with your wife and kids more often than not. But um, So tell me, how come you sound like a little subdued on this show? What's it? Are you ill? Are you sick? Did you catch something? Do I sound subdued? Yeah, just a little, just a tiny. You're not your usual chirpy self. Huh? I, well, I'm, I, I'm a little sick. Um, I think I have a cold. And, you know, I was really burnt out over the weekend. I mean, I, I was on such a high those three days. It was so intense. I, would, I have a hard time reading on the flight home back right. to LA because I was still so, like, energized by everything. And I think by Sunday, I just kind of crashed. I had a kind of a burnout. And uh, that in combination of being sick. And I think it was rainy and dark here, too. So the combination, I was just like, ugh. Yeah. Maybe I'm just recovering. It was so, it was rainy here. And I mean, I'm from London, right? So in London, it rains all the time. But for some reason, when you come over and live in LA and you have sun all the time, a rainy day hits hits you so hard. Well, it hit me anyway. And I just yeah. felt, felt rough. Yeah, you were down. Wait, you were grumpy yesterday, right? You said, I want to do the show. <laughs> Didn't even want to do a show. I was in too much of a bad mood, generally speaking. But uh, no, yeah. I'm I'm good today. I'm good today. Um, you get soft living out here. Yeah, they're right. Quickly. I mean, it's it just, doesn't take much. Yeah, it's just too good. Years. Too easy. Yeah. <laughs> it was funny. I went, when I was coding with Victor, I was like uh, leaning back in a chair, my feet up on the table, and he's coding. I'm like, yep, better living through pair programming. <laughs> you know what I get? <laughs> I just spent the whole time telling him stories and if you you know, and I'd make references to films and books and stuff and he didn't know what I was talking about. I'm like, damn, I keep forgetting you're like twelve. I'm like, all right. So I was like showing him clips on YouTube. I'm like, all right, here are the movies you're to watch list. <laughs> like he hadn't seen Office Space, you know, for Christ's sakes. So I'm like, <laughs> all right, like you gotta watch Office Space. You gotta do this, you gotta do that. So we've been going through a number of iterations on Plugio design. Um it's looking it's it's looking great um it's looking very kind of simple and uh, streamlined and sort of mac like um we still haven't finalized it so there's a, there's a lot more iterations to go but i'm pretty happy with the general direction you think it's going to be a substantial improvement over the previous design i do i do yeah definitely i think it's going to make a big difference well what's up next for plug other than a redesign well the first thing the first thing that we're going to be doing with uh, company 52 is the reskinning and then relaunching it so that it can scale. I mean, it's, it's really going to be about sending a message out to that 350,000 mailing list, maximizing that mailing list by hopefully getting them to do things like pay with a tweet. So we're going to try and have a strategy of a launch day where we get a lot of um, buzz going about Plugio on that launch day. Because the thing, the thing about Plugio is when people look at it, people who use um, TweetDeck and other things, they actually look into the functionality of it. They're, they're pretty blown away by it, right? They like the functionality of it. It's just the design is not so great, and I think that's killed it. And it's kind of inspired me to think about writing a blog post about the fact that, you know, I've kind of let my ego get in the way in the past. You know, I should have really got a designer involved sooner. Right. Well, design design matters more than you think, I guess, is I think the so. lesson, you know. And, you know, I... Depends you know, on the product, yeah, I mean, some products, right. I mean, yeah, I think that's true to say. It depends. Like, like all, a lot of this advice you hear about startups, it really depends on the kind, your market, the kind of products. Is it a business or consumer app? Is it, you know, it really depends. But design can be a distinct competitive advantage or can really work against you if it's very poor. 
time. So Exactly. So with Craigslist, which has the worst design in the world, it doesn't make a difference because of its function. But with Plugio, when it's it's in a marketplace where all of the competitors have very high end designs and high end designers, it's going to make a massive difference. So, well, if you think about uh, the thing about Craigslist is it's it's free, yeah, and it's just information. That's all it is. You're not really investing time. No, in Plugio, you're sort of investing. Well, first of all, you're paying for it. You've got to spend time looking at it, and and yeah. if, if you if you are have an aesthetic kind of mental aspect you know an, an aesthetic approach to life you don't want to spend all day looking at something that's n- doesn't please you right yeah yeah so and i think an app might have a, is a little different than a uh than sort of just an informational website i mean yeah. uh, i guess craigslist is kind of an app in the sense that you know people interact by messaging back and forth but it's not it's very very lightly an app it's mostly just a, a website informational website so yeah well anyway that's i think that's important so i just uh, pinged you a link of something that we're kind of looking at it's not it's not perfect but uh it's you know it's a beginning okay and uh now have you guys inked a deal yet have you guys got anything down on paper well what? actually um the they they um michael put together the the deal and sent it back to me and you know that i had suggested the 20 80 percent revenue split mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um he just switched it back to 30, 70. Yeah, okay. So 30, and, you know, for me. And, okay. and I didn't ask for it. Um, so I was kind of pleasantly surprised with that. That's interesting. He just felt that it was a little yeah. more fair, that he thought it was a little much. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Well, that's interesting. I think that's good. I thought 80-20 was a little high. I think 70-30 sounds a little better. Um, but I, you know, in the end, I guess, if it really works, then it's not going to be that big a difference between 80-20, 70-30. Um, you know, and, and they're going to want you to stay engaged and involved. Yes, exactly. You know, that's a, my, the thing, my piece of advice my dad gave me a long time ago is like, if a, if a business deal is too good for one party, it's a bad deal because what happens is the, the other party is eventually going to realize it was a crap deal and they're going to try and get out of it or they're just stop performing. Yeah. So you don't want, you don't want to be too excited about you know, your deal in the sense like, oh, I got everything and I really, yeah, that's bad. You want both people to feel like it was pretty fair that is a reasonable compromise and people got a lot of what they wanted or what they needed, but they didn't get everything they wanted because it's just going to, yeah, it's just going to, it's going to come up short for the other party. And in the end, it's, you're, you're going to lose. Well, that's what I felt about the 50-50 because it does, it, it wouldn't make sense if they were getting 50 and I was getting 50. So they were putting mm-hmm. in all this hardcore effort. They were a team of like six people. And I was just one guy getting 50% of all of that effort. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I kind of want them to put continual ongoing effort. So that's why I felt just the revenue needed to be much higher, have a higher weighting in their favor. I, but I mean, I think it make, it's fair enough that I'm keeping 70% equity, you know, in the long run. I think that's fair because okay. I've, I've put all this time. If you, if you look at it this way, like it, this kind of, First round funding, you know, people will take thirty percent, right? You know, well, what's okay. it, no, but but it's but if you once you make over ten thousand a month, do you get you get thirty percent, and he they get seventy percent? Basically, yeah. Okay, so it's seventy thirty. That's that's a revenue and seventy thirty equity split. Yeah, but it's the seventy thirty equity seven, split the other way round. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I get it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, cool. That's so, but enough. have you actually got it down on paper? Have you actually? It's down on paper, but not signed yet. Okay. Yeah but it sounds like you're pretty close. Yeah, I think so, yeah. 
yeah, well, this design looks nice. It's moving in the right, the right direction. I like the uh, I like the new logo. Yeah, that's not bad. Plug it's, yeah, yeah. That, that there's a it's, there's a little bit too much white on the page there, but um, you know he's 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 a great designer by the way. And I was thinking that for some of our you know potential where we need just pages laid out and stuff like that, we may we may be able to even use him for any foo. Mm, okay. Yeah. yeah, I like that. Oh, I. I was never a huge fan of the black, so I like to see that you're kind of lightening it up a little bit. Yeah, I, yeah. I think it's nice. Um, well, not just cool. lightening it up, but also thinking about moving it towards a touch interface, which is kind of a different way of thinking, designing for touch, you know? Okay. Because like the way the plugin works right now and the way that a lot of apps work is they, they pay attention to mouse over events, hover events. Mm-hmm. Um, but you just don't have that on touch. You need to think differently. Right. So what's the, um, what is the, uh, what are the numbers on Plugio lately this past? <laughs> don't sound too excited. Um, <clears throat> well, I don't really have too, too many new numbers to tell you other than it's, it's doing well. Um, we're only seven days into this month. It looks like it's $150 up on seven days in last month. That's the numbers. Those are the numbers. All right. So heading heading to thirty five hundred. That's what we're going for. Did What's you? Cool? I, I, do you have any um, hacker news stories? Did you? Did you like take any notes on any hacker? I, news I got stuff? a couple of things, but I just want to f- finish this up first. So when when are you based on your estimates? When are you supposed to hit thirty five hundred? Um, I, I I would like to say by Christmas, if nothing goes wrong. Thirty five hundred by Christmas? Yeah. If nothing goes wrong. Really? Huh. So that's kind of a slow growth curve at the moment. It is, yeah. It is. Really kind of flattened out. No, well, it's it's exactly the same growth curve it has been. It's just, it's well, always no, been. I mean, when, we're, when we were back in like April, it was like you were going to hit 10 grand by the end of the year. I guess. No, it's always been. Yeah, kind of, hell yeah. You go back. The, you listen to those episodes around like, uh, you know, March or something like that, or April, and it was looking like you were going to hit 10 grand. Or I something. guess. if Now that I'm, I'm looking at the numbers right, so February... February, March, and April, there was like a $400 growth per month. Right. But then, remember I had that downward spiral since the summer? Right. So now it's moved to more like a $150 to $200 growth a month. Okay. Right. Yep. We get that thing moving up. Well, we, we, it will be moving up. Once it's, once it's mailed out to 350,000 people, it has a brand new design. And um, that's, that's exactly what I'm working on right now. So um, I got an email from Corey Mass, who's one of our listeners, about the Tweet Fund. <laughs> right after the, the, not Tweet Fund, the Texing, or the TZ Fund. The Texing Fund, right? He said he's made, what is it, $16, $16 through investing on our advice? Yeah. Well, I said Tweet Fund because I'm sitting here looking at Plugio and it says Tweet. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, the TZ. So he said he, he invested, yeah, he invested, invested in Tesla Motors. <laughs> because we were talking about that, I think, and and uh, I said something like, "Yeah, you know, I would invest if there were companies that if I had money that I want to invest in the stock market, I would probably pick someone. I would bet on Elon Musk." Yeah, and, and he did, and now he's sixteen dollars up. Yeah, well, for now, it could be down sixteen dollars. Could be down sixteen dollars. A couple weeks, you never know. But um, in the long run, I think just like VCs like to bet on teams they bet on people rather than ideas i think you want to bet if you can on, and especially on like young companies i mean you, i think it's hard to bet on a major company on a ceo um 
But, you know, Tesla is kind of a young company. And I think betting on Elon Musk is a good, is a good play. So we need to uh, create um, the texting fund through Collective 2 so that people can subscribe to our feed. <laughs> right. So we, we're going to put out like three signals a year. You're right. That's not very good uh, samples, but you have to put out more than that. Otherwise, it's just that enough points of uh, sample size to figure out if we have any uh, predictive power. But, you know, do you remember Wired Magazine had the Wired? It was like, I can't remember what it was The Wired called. Fund, was it? It was just called the Wired Fund or something. Do you remember that? Yeah. It's back in the 90s. And I can't remember why they stopped doing it. They probably stopped doing it because after the crash, they lost, everyone lost so much money. It was like down like 90%. Yeah, let's not do that. So it just makes you, it made everyone look really, really stupid. But uh, I always thought it was cool. I like, well, I like watching the Wired Fund or, you know, every month. It's like, all right, so what's, what's up and what's down? But um, yeah, I don't know how many companies, but see, most of the companies we talk about are smaller startups or smallish companies. Like we don't really talk about Larger companies, right? Yeah, publicly companies. No, we're not really interested in them. You're not. I will speak for yourself. <laughs> well, we're interested in Apple. I mean, I'm not interested in. I mean, yeah. I think. What, yeah, I say, I what think are you, you interested in? Are you interested in coffee and orange juice? I mean, what are you interested in? Tess? No, I don't know. I read about. Well, I read a lot more about uh, global economic, macroeconomic stuff than you do. I find that stuff interesting. Yeah, but you don't. So we don't tend to talk about it. And plus, plus it's it's so kind of off topic for the show. Even for off topic stuff, it gets out there. But uh, you know, I find some of that stuff interesting. I, I, I. It's like a lot of things. I go in, fa- in in sort of waves. Like I get interested in stuff for a while, and I get kind of obsessed with it for like a few months, and then I or six, you know, something like that. And then I just kind of get bored with it, and then I come back a year or two later. That happens to me all the time. Right. Um, but especially with like economics and politics like there's only so much of that stuff that i can consume because a lot of it's bad news in one way or another and it's like there's not much you, nothing much you can do about it so it's just distracting right mm-hmm. and i think i can't remember who said this but they i thought this was a great sort of piece of advice is like you have to treat the news like junk food it's okay in small doses but you got to be careful to consume too much of it otherwise it's just gonna be bad for you right you know, it's just because you think about it. I mean, most news is kind of it's not feel good news. It's mostly it's of the bad kind. Wars, epidemics, people going to jail, corruption, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing good about it. And it's just it's just I don't know. Just, Would you say that Hacker News follows that kind of concept that it also follows the kind of. Uh, no, not really. I mean, you get a little bit of you get a little bit of that, you know, about patent stuff or about. But I think more of it is like, a, you know, people talking about us technologies. You know, you know, like there's a, there was sort of Mongo Gate, MongoDB Gate over the weekend. Did you see that? No, tell us about that. Um, well, I mean, I didn't read it that closely because I, I it got a little boring. But um, some someone posted into Pastebin a, a sort of rant about how they have like tens of millions of users and they tried MongoDB and they had all these problems and here are the things that you know, it sucks at and blah, 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 and just kind of went on a rant. I read about half of it and then I just kind of got bored of reading it. And I guess part of it is that I was talking to Curtis and he said, and he was reading through the top response on Hacker News and the comments on Hacker News and it was by the CTO of Mongo. And the guy pretty much refuted all the points pretty, pretty solidly. It was just like, yeah. None of our clients who claim that they work close with us, does their profile match anything uh, like what they're describing? If, if they would reach out to us, I mean, we would be 
more than happy to work with him and help him. And, and he's, I mean, some of the stuff were just kind of, you know, the points were just kind of dumb, uh, you know, based so on what was he complaining about support or something like they weren't giving. Well, no, support. it's, I mean, part I, 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 I can't remember all of it. And, and I, I wasn't one of the articles that I was planning on talking about the show. So I didn't take any notes, but it, I remember one of the things that they were talking about, like, well, you know, it was like, you couldn't do failover stuff or you couldn't do, uh, if it got, if it, if it got to like a hundred percent capacity, like if you hundred percent utilization or something like you can, and the guy's like, dude, like anytime something gets up to close to hundred percent, you're kind of screwed. Like you gotta like prepare for additional capacity before you get to that point. Right. Yeah. You know, and I don't know if I'm, if I'm correctly articulating the guy's point, much less the refutation of it. But um, anyway, there was a lot of back and forth on the whole MongoDB, MongoGate. But I think my sort of cursory review of it, it seemed like the complaints weren't, weren't made, weren't that strong. And that I think, I think Mongo's for what it does. I think it does a good job. We use it and it works really well. Yeah. And we use it when I say we, I mean, uh, at uh, Uber. Well, if Uber's using it and they're a company that's been, you know, that's very successful and you've got it, you've got it, you know, set up. <laughs> then but it can't it, be that bad. Yeah. I mean, I think like a lot of things, it really depends on what you're using it for and how you're using it. You know, I mean, you know, it may turn out that what we're using it for, it just is very much, in, you know, sort of ingrained with how it's supposed to be used or to with along with its strengths. If you try and do things with it that it wasn't meant to do or doesn't support well, then you're running into problems. And, and you know, so maybe this other company, they're just trying to you know, push it past what it's really meant to, meant to be. And, um, you know, it's kind of like people complain about like relational databases and it's like, you know, again, there's, if you, if you don't, if you don't use MySQL intelligently, you can run into problems, but you know, if you, if you set up your, your indexes correctly and you, and you set up your queries, you know, intelligently and you, you, you do things the right way and you give your database enough, um, Ram to use, I mean, all of a sudden it can work great. You know, it just kind of depends. I mean, um, I think the probably the same goes for Mongo. So over the weekend, there was um, the story of Tracy Willem- Williams from Technorati who went missing. And mm-hmm. it went to the front page of Hacker News that, you know, Technorati put this post out saying, look, please pass this around the net. We're looking for Tracy Williams. She's gone missing. And through that outreach, they found her and she's alive in a local hospital. So... Uh, well- they found her at a hospital or they found her and saved her and then she got her to the hospital. They don't say that. I don't have that information, but, but basically we just so know basically it probably just didn't mean anything. <laughs> I mean, if it's like, Oh, well, she's at, turns out she's at the hospital. I mean, well, well who at least was, they found her. You know what I'm saying? But, like the point but, is, is that, okay. Okay. So at least the people that at the company, she works technology now know where she is. Yes, exactly. Turns out she's a hospital, but nobody knows what happened to her or, or what. It, yeah, no, the, the, that information isn't isn't available. So what we know, so for all we know, is that she might have gotten kind of drunk and and. and, and <laughs> right. I mean, right. I mean, we don't. We don't well, at least she at least she's okay. I I, I was I was just trying to trying to focus on a feel good story after our uh, discussion <laughs> of <laughs> you know to lighten up the news. And by the way, talking to you today is like talking to someone who is like half asleep <laughs> and I, I, mean, I don't mean that in a, I, I mean that sounds like i'm trying to take the piss but i'm not you just because you're real right you you, you just right. don't have much energy that's all i don't know i'm feeling pretty good yeah <laughs> I, just, I just think my voice sounds uh I have, I have the sick voice right okay 
password. So I don't know. I'm just saying I'm not sure that the Hacker News post had anything to do with anything. <laughs> You're probably right. It probably had nothing to do with it. But anyway, at least it's positive news. Okay, next. <laughs> okay, how about uh, nodebeginner.org? Didn't read it. What, what do they say? It's just a guide to node.js. Okay. It's a did real you, simple guide. I'm just looking at it. it. Looks good. Nodebeginner.org. Is this another one of the auto Justin auto posting stories? No. <laughs> <laughs> I posted it, didn't read it, <laughs> but you might like it. <laughs> Nodebeginner. The oh. aim of this document is to get you started with developing applications with Node.js, teaching you everything you need to know about advanced JavaScript along the way. It goes way beyond your typical Hello World tutorial. Just thought it might be interesting to bring up, given that you were talking about Node.js for Uber. Okay. All I'm, right. I'm, I'm sorry, man, I'm so sorry for bringing up Hacker News stories. I mean, I'm so sorry for trying to bring content to the show. <laughs> I mean, God, I mean, I just, I, think, I can't do anything right today. No, just, yeah, what, what should I say? You tell me. I think you should bring up a story you know you read. <laughs> <laughs> Not read much this past week because of being up in San Francisco. Right. Um, I didn't have much time. So I, what I did is I went through um, my list of uh, stories that I didn't, that we never got to talk about, like in, from past shows. And so I got some from there. So we'll see how this goes. You know, one of them was kind of funny. You want to do something that's cute? You, you, you want something that's cute, right? Well, we've got, like we've got like 10 minutes left or yeah, 10 minutes, I'd say. So if you want to finish uh, I'll off. I'll start with cute and then I'm going to go dark. Okay. Cute, then dark. Go for it. Okay. So there's one, it was called adding a picture to, you know, to your site will improve conversions by 788%. Right. <laughs> you read that story a couple weeks I, ago? I, did, I've, I read the title, but I didn't read the story. So the guy, I figured this is the kind of story you'd like. Because uh, okay, like, the guy, you, 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 you'd have like, a, he'd have this like little um, animated GIF or something that it would just like show his picture pop up behind his like, you know, follow me on Twitter. Button. Right. Right. <clears throat> Which... Which is obviously a gimmick, you know. It's kind of along those lines of "you should follow me on Twitter." That that whole thing that there's just yeah. some, some some guy did a little statistical test and turns out like the best way to get people to follow you is don't just say "follow me on Twitter" or "I'm on Twitter" or whatever. It's like you should follow me on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Remember that? Yep. So now you just need to add a little picture of yourself popping up, going "hello." <laughs> and all of a sudden, your Twitter follower problems will be solved. So I I um, unsubscribed from AppSumo because I was just getting too irritated with the, the deals that came through that were just all basically some kind of tutorial about something or other anyway. So I unsubscribed, and, and the picture that you get when you unsubscribe is a picture of Noah just looking with a really forlorn, sad face, kind of going, oh, sorry to see you go. <laughs> it was <Really>? so annoying. <laughs> <laughs> you met you? Did you meet no meet Noah? Yeah, he's a good guy, but man, that's annoying. <laughs> did you feel bad? Did you resubscribe? Did you feel guilty? No, I didn't resubscribe. No, I was like, don't make me feel bad for unsubscribing. Well, you're unsubscribing, so what do you? What does he care? That's all right. So it's like fine. Well, what kind of stuff was being emailed to you? I mean, tutorials for what? Um, sort of like things like you know how to how to get the most out of Photoshop. Little, you, feel like getting, you feel like you're already getting enough out of Photoshop? Just little snippets about, I guess, startup business, how to help you do st- different stuff in your startup. Just weird right. stuff, but educational, I guess. Right. So it turns out you were, your, your advice was right about the anonymous canceling their, uh, 
or, or you know that it was too dangerous for anonymous to go after the drug cartel the mexican drug cartels yes because i said that if they did that that the cartel would then just go around just randomly killing everyone who was a web hacker or whatever and you said that's never gonna happen what a load of rubbish <laughs> see i'm bringing it up I'm, I'm telling you were right i want you to feel good about it good nice so yeah. did, did anybody get killed any anonymous i don't know because they they didn't on the on the back off they're like we're not doing yeah. it we're not doing yeah, it yeah yeah exactly <laughs> well it's, yeah it's, the thing is anonymous isn't quite as anonymous as they need to be you know it's like the fbi went and, hunt and found a bunch of them you know about a month ago or whenever it was right based on some operation and it's like i mean i'm sure there's some members of anonymous that are really good at hi- at hiding who they are but it sounds it seems like there's probably also a lot of anonymous members that are just sort of newbies and and aren't that great think, how could you even hide yourself i mean that there's there's logs of pretty much everything you do i mean you for example you'd have to tell that through like 20 different hosts yeah, yeah, it's like the movies. They have like this super hacker who's like bouncing through different satellites and different places, and you know, have like the NSA trying to track them. And uh, I think um, I remember reading a post about this. I, I've, I've tried to find it since, but I, I never was able to. But this guy was talking, but I was like, all right, he's like, all right, you know, smart guy, you really want to keep people from following you? This is what you have to do. And it was like this page long, very detailed list of all the things you're going to have to do to keep from being tracked. And it was like, you, you, it was just insane. I mean, nobody's doing all those things. Yeah. It's just like, you know, using uh, the, what using different computers that you'd have to buy, you know, and you'd have to get like the way you're accessing the net would have to be different and you'd have to be at different locations. And I mean, it was just, it was a crazy, it was like, nobody's doing that. And I mean, I don't have enough knowledge about that kind of stuff to know whether it was BS or not, but it sounded sounded like he knew what he was talking about. And it sounded like it would take a lot of work to truly be anonymous. I mean, if you're worried about like if you're worried about the FBI or CIA or NSA or some super hackers finding you, it's like you, yeah, it's like it's almost impossible. Right, and then you go and print out some page that you sent some kind of threat letter in, and of course, every page has the little printer's ID number. <laughs> right, right, which we talked about like a year and a half ago, right? Yeah, right. So, you, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just, I just would assume you're not anonymous. <laughs> assume that you are known. Um, so I guess they, they backed off, right? The, the anonymous is not going after the drug cartel. That's it. Is there any well, else to the story? Did you read anything more about it? I don't have anything else. Okay. Well, I thought you'd, I thought you'd want to bask in, 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 your, in, your, in your vindication, that you'd want to have information. Jason, the truth is that, I mean, I, I feel like I'm right most of the time. So it doesn't really make a difference. Really? I felt it's just like your one time that you're going to feel really good. <laughs> like, you know, I guess, I guess you, you, because you're just acknowledging it, that's why it seems so amazing for you. Okay. <laughs> so, all right. So you're ready to go dark? Yeah, go on, go dark. Okay. So here are three stories that I found randomly throughout my list of stories over the, over the past month or two. And here's the first was secret U.S. panel can put Americans on kill list. Now, have you heard about that? No. So this is a Reuters, this is a Reuters story. I mean, it was all over the place. Is it Reuters true? Particular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. So, like, there was a there was an uh, American. Um, he's a he's an uh, Islamic cleric in Yemen, and he apparently is sort of you know considered a radical, um, you know, Islamist. Or I guess how they put it. His name is Anwar Al Alwaki. Alwaki. Whatever. So, and he was killed by essentially killed by um, some U.S. drone attacks in Yemen. So they killed him. But he's American. And, you know, that is 
course, very questionable thing to do, right? I mean, it's it's you you just can't just go and kill an American, right? You have to take them into custody and charge them with something and put them on trial and you know, right? You can't just go, oh, we're just gonna kill this person because they're a bad they're a bad guy. They're a terrorist. Unless they're on the kill list. Well, unless they're on the kill list. Now, it's what you would call an extra judi- judicial murder. I mean, there's no no due process. And and um it says there's no public record of the operations or decisions of the panel, and it's kind of unclear on whether on what the president's role is in the whole thing. So there's just a panel of people to say, okay, you're you're bad. We don't even know who the panel is. It may not even be the president. Yeah, it's a national, some kind of national security panel of some kind. But they want to protect the president, since they they want you, you want to give the president, you know, a plausible deniability, right? Like, well, I didn't know it, what was going on, that kind of thing, right? Um, so the other thing it was like the other it was the, the second article was feds embraced lying in response to public records request. This was in uh, Wired and their threat level um, column. So basically, you know, you, you can do what's called a freedom of information request, and it's, it's called a FOIA, F-O-I-A request for documents. And what they want to be able to do is be able to just lie about, you know, the, the existence of the record rather than have to say, well. We're not going to give it to you because we think it's classified. We're just going to say it doesn't exist so that you can't sue for it. Hmm. So you want to basically, basically lie. That, yeah, yeah. I saw that. I, I was, I, they was talking about that one on um, No Agenda and just how, how crazy it was. And they were playing what the guy was saying, you know. Yeah, they, so that was recorded ACLU, on C-SPAN. Yeah, the ACLU and all kind of like, you know, other government accountability groups are just like, this is absolutely, you know, undermines government integrity. I mean, this is just so over the top. And the other one I found was, there's an older one which is on, was on tech dirt, was, uh, and this is, I've seen this other places too, was New York Times sues the federal government for refusing to reveal its secret interpretation of the Patriot Act. So apparently two senators, uh, Ron Wyden and uh, Mark Udall, Udall or Udall, um, are, are, are suing. Are, 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 no, they're not suing. They're actually trying to, because they've been on some panels, like they're aware I think they're aware that they're, that the interpretation, like how the government is in, interpreting the act about what they can do in terms of spying on Americans or you know holding Americans or whatever. And the Patriot Act is huge, and it has all kind of provisions that it gives the uh, you know the government um, that they're like you know what what you know the normal person walking around the street thinks the government can do isn't what the government actually thinks it's doing and is doing. Hmm. And and it says so. Charlie Savage of the New York Times filed a FOIA request to get to try and get this information and, you know, hasn't gotten it. So now, um, again, the New York times are actually suing the government to try and get, get something. But, um, yeah, so it's just ridiculous, man. According to the federal government, its own interpretation of law is classified. I mean, that's like, that's I mean, how, ridiculous is that? how ridiculous is ridiculous is that? <sighs> well, well, I just wonder what's going to happen. I mean, when, <laughs> when, when do we find out? <laughs> <laughs> Probably not ever going to find out. I don't think, any time in the near future, are we ever going to know what the government thinks um, the it can do versus what we think it can do? It's just not going to happen. They're going to. There's just too many people. Both sides of the aisle, both Democrats and Republicans, are, 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 are Democrats and Republicans, are so. Um, at least the people who have been in power, you know, they have all been pulled into it, and they're all sort of culpable on different levels about knowing of things that they sh- that were illegal or whatever, different types of all the wiretapping stuff and all the, you know, enhanced, you know, uh, what's it called? I mean, it's torture, essentially, enhanced interrogation techniques and all the, um, 
uh, extraordinary rendition and all that stuff, right? I mean, it's just there's too many there's too many people in power on both sides of the aisle that neither of them are going to hold one the other side accountable because they're going to get sucked into it, right? They're mm-hmm. going to be held accountable, right? I mean, it's one of the reasons why. Um, I think when Obama was came in and people thought that he was going to clean house and that, you know, they're going to hold his people accountable is that in, and this, I, you know, I had this article up and I, I should have brought this up. I forgot, but you know, one of the guys who's one of the top people on his transition team said, look, you, we couldn't go after some of the people from the Bush administration for what they did, you know, in regards to torture and, and all of the sort of, you know, and the wiretapping and everything else, because we were worried that we would end up, that they would figure out a way to come after us as soon as we were out of office. Right. Mm. So, you know, but, but then you run into a real problem is like, no one's ever held accountable. And so you can do what you want, which is really kind of bad too. Right. Mm-hmm. So what do you do? Well, this has definitely made me feel depressed and it's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, you know, you certainly have brought the show down. So thanks. <laughs> come on, no. it's just the news. <laughs> <laughs> not going to affect you. I mean, what's going to affect you? None that's going to have any effect on you. The only thing that would affect me would be if I could launch Plugio and it was a fantastic success. And I could launch any foo and it was a fantastic success. Then I would be affected and I would be happy. Yeah, exactly. So you really just, for the most part, I mean, I think it's interesting and, and relevant to at least be somewhat aware of this kind of stuff. You don't want to run over, walk around like an imbecile and not know what's going on in the world. I mean, I think as a responsible adult, you owe it, <laughs> I don't know if to yourself or the world, to at least pay a little bit of attention to what's going on, right. but not to obsess over it. I mean, you really want to focus on creating value in your own life so that you can positively affect yourself, your family, and, and your friends, right? Yeah. I mean, you, that's, I think that's, that's what I try and do anyway. I don't know. Maybe someone has a different interpretation of what you know, how they want to live their life. But, you know, I think a lot of people just get so sucked into, um, uh, you know, I think you get, I think either side, if you go, if you go on the side where you just spend all your time worrying about politics and it sort of debilitates you and you don't do anything positive on your side, you're just, you're just grousing about politics all the time. I mean, that's just not going to be any good for you. But if you totally are just absorbed in your own little world and you don't know, and if everybody was, it's kind of like ethics, right? It's like they, one of the sort of, I guess the, um, I don't know if we sort of like the benchmarks for what's ethical is like, well, what if everybody did it right? Is throwing garbage on the ground ethical? No. Cause if everybody threw garbage on the ground, we'd live in a, dump, in a garbage dump. Right. Well, it's what I always say. The truth lies in the middle. What is that? That is a bullshit saying. It's not. It's so, so what true. Saying? So accurate. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying that like, don't, don't think in a black the description you're giving right now. You're basically saying, don't be black. You're saying, don't be white. In other words, be gray. <laughs> I think that's kind of like, I'm not really going to think very hard about it, so I'll just say truth lies in the middle. <laughs> no, it's just like, it's just obvious. I think, I think that that saying is interesting because, it, you know, you also have to be careful with saying things like that because every situation, sometimes the, is different, right? In some cases, it lies very much on one extreme or very much on the other, you know? I mean, it's not in the middle, at all but sometimes so for example uh when it comes to murder you know the truth doesn't lie in the middle like you shouldn't kill people basically that that's that's your that's your kind of you could go against that right i mean i don't know i mean but But it just it just proves the point it just proves the point that truth does lie in the middle even on whether it should lie in the middle or not (laughs) (laughs) i don't know that's such a meta argument it's such a vague meta argument all right that has been an awesome show very very happy with that 
<laughs> you don't sound very happy with it. You, <laughs> no, sound, like you, need, you sound like you need, to, you need to end on a high note. Come on, give us some good news. What, what do you got? You got at least one really happy story. A hundred babies were born in the last second. Is that right? Yeah. Is that true? I'm pretty Are sure, you? yeah. Is that good news? Are That's we? Because we just hit oh, 7 billion people. We did? Well, that's true, actually, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a couple weeks ago, we hit 7 billion people. So maybe 100 babies a second isn't such a good thing. Right? Getting kind of close. I don't know if that's good news. (laughs) 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 Am I turning everything down? (laughs) All right. This has been um, texting. All right. That's a wrap. We're out.